Good morning, Covenant Fellowship. I'm so glad you're here with us. Please stand as we get ready to worship our Lord and prepare our hearts for the message this morning. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Tell you. 
God bless Sarania. Thank you for being a trooper. As you notice, we are a little thin up here, and uh, Bob just got called out. He was on call this weekend, so he came to us, and he just had to leave abruptly. And uh, then uh, uh, my mind's gone blank. Tanya's sick this morning that's going around, and Deborah's out of town. So if you know how to play an instrument, you're welcome to come on up here and join Rhonda. She'd love to have your company. But uh, God bless her. Thank you for stepping in. But did a great job this morning, as she always does. So uh, just uh, great to see everybody. Those who join us online, we don't always uh, acknowledge you. So we'll let you know we're thankful that you're here with us this morning. We want to be a blessing in every way we can. We got folks online. So if we can be a blessing, anything you want to pray about, let us know you're there. Say hi. Uh, if you have any questions about the service today, there'll be information at the end, but you can reach me personally at Todd at cfchurchtx.com. Love to uh, talk with you. Be a blessing any way we can, but thank you for joining us today. So uh, good to see you, brother. So uh, we got some nice people to sit by if you're looking for somebody. Okay. So... Uh, Anyway, we uh, all see who we had to delay in our uh, journey groups. Uh, we were supposed to try to kick off at the 1st of February, but uh, Mother Nature uh, put a halt to that. So we will be launching our journey groups this Wednesday. Uh, we've had a lot of input. A lot of folks are looking forward to it. We will continue to have our uh, dinner, our fellowship dinner, prior to at 6 o'clock uh, that the church provides. So come be a part of that and, uh, and fellowship there. And then we will break off into our individual journey groups for as men's and ladies. And uh, we'll start our eight-week series going through different paths, but leading us to a common goal. So I encourage you greatly, be in prayer, be a part of that. It's going to accomplish a lot of good within the body and uh, in the church. So we'll be starting that next Wednesday. Then on the, uh, this, uh, what is it, the 10th, I believe we have uh, Love Thy Neighbor ministry that uh, God put on Lori's heart. Uh, you've been getting texts on Facebook about it. They had a meeting last week briefly on Sunday after church. If you have any questions about that, reach out to Lori. Uh, you can reach out to uh, who else? Uh, can I reach out to you as well? Okay. So uh, we can uh, reach out and uh, get that information done. Make sure you're part of that. That will be uh, Friday the 10th at 6 o'clock. And are you all doing that in the fellowship hall, Alina? Okay, probably in fellowship, but Alina can tell you where to go, where Lori. So, ladies, uh, be a, it's a great, it's what it is. It's an outreach. They have been collecting and putting together uh, baskets, bags that they're going to use to minister, to reach out to ladies uh, in the community and uh, our, our shut-ins of different, uh, different types. So, great opportunity to get the gospel out there. Then, this is exciting. Uh, Amy for Africa, one of our... Uh, missionaries that we support. Uh, also, uh, we will be uh, soon uh, getting with Amber. Uh, I know she's reached out, so Amber will be uh, get with her and hopefully joining us soon and update on hers. But Amy for Africa sent a text. Some of y'all may have saw that are linked to her. God has provided the wall. Amen. Woo! That is something that's been in prayer for years now. She got the call uh, last week. And the money came in. When I say wall, I'm not talking about a three-foot chain-link fence. I mean, it's a wall with, as you see, the blueprint design there. They'll encompass the whole compound that God has made. If you can see a little bit in the background behind Chris there, you see, the, the I mean, just how nice the building looks. If you can kind of see the background. 
uh, I encourage you to go to uh, AFA and uh, look at posts. Uh, the school is open, it's running, it, it's in excess of 200 students. The kitchen is built and they're feeding them. The well has been put in. Uh, they got uh, livestock as far as animals. They got the guard going. It is amazing what God is bringing forth that he has placed this ministry in the middle of a Muslim community at the highest point of land that could be obtained. And God is doing miracles. So uh, continue to pray for her. But you also may have saw, uh, saw this on Facebook. They, uh, at their personal house where they live there, uh, in uh, Uganda, they got robbed last week, maybe in the week before. Uh, now, the, it's bad enough that just they themselves got robbed, their house got broken into, but they had a large sum of money that was money allocated towards ministry. So it wasn't like just their money to live on while, we're, while they were over there. Uh, this took funds that had been collected, that they had brought with them, that they were going to be using for expenditures to further the gospel. And when I say the gospel, uh, those that are keeping up with here, th this is a ministry that is in the thousands of men and women and children that come to know Jesus Christ. This school is raising up orphans, not only educating them in the school system, but doing it by the word of God and through the word of God, again, that's spreading and making an impact. So this money that was lost or stolen from them uh, was a sum of $3,700. Now, that's still a good amount of money, uh, not to downplay it. $3,700 over there is monumental. So what I'm going to ask you to do, uh, uh, we're not really prepared today. If you, feel, if you feel led today and you have a checkbook, get with one of the ministry leaders or myself after church. But I'm going to ask you to pray during this upcoming week. And as a church, I want to try to step in that gap as God leads us. And we're going to take a one-time love offering for them. And we're going to collect those funds, and then I'll get with the ministry leaders. And the ministry leaders, I'm going to ask them to pray for the church as a whole. And we're going to see what God can do so we can be a part to help them because that's what we want to invest in. We want to invest in the gospel, and the gospel is flourishing over there through Amy for Africa and Chris in Uganda. So if you would, would you pray with me this week? And then we will come back next Sunday, and we'll do a one-time offering for them. And... Uh, and go from there and see if we can be a blessing to keep those ministries moving for Amy for Africa. So we're excited about that. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, KJ and Jennifer were th with us last week. I heard from Jennifer. Uh, KJ and them, they were at Baylor Emergency Room all night. Uh, don't know the update. Brother Lloyd, I don't know if you've talked to him. Okay. Okay, so now he is admitted. So uh, a long list of challenges uh, we touched on briefly. He greatly needs prayer, uh, him and Jennifer both. So keep KJ and Jennifer in prayer. And then also, uh, as we saw last week, and I posted to bring everybody up to date, um, a, a man, a pastor in this, uh, that we're all, most of us are very familiar with and Brother Brad and I ministered with for years. But uh, Levi Wolf uh, had a... Uh, uh, a tear in his aorta and also his carotid artery. Uh, it almost uh, took his life. Uh, if you look at statistics, they say that a little bit over half of people that that occurs to are dead before they hit the ground. Uh, he went through somewhere between six to eight hours of surgery. Uh, he's still in Medical City recovering. 
uh, he's still in recovery. They're having a hard time getting him to come out because of the extensiveness of the surgery and how much anesthesia he went through. Uh, so they're struggling getting him out. So we need to pray for continual healing. Uh, just the reality of the situation, if you look at the nature of this aorta dissection, I believe it's called, there's still prolonged chances of percentages that, you know, you don't recover even two or three weeks later. Uh, you know, that's just what statistics say. Uh, but we also need to be praying that there's no neurological damage because of the uh, disruption in blood flow, this oxygen flow, and things of that nature. So keep Levi and Brittany Wolf in prayer and uh, their families, and we'll try to keep you up to date as that goes on his recovery. Amen? So uh, a good man who loves the Lord. So uh, I think... Uh, Camp, yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean because we are uh, now getting ready for our church camp. We're excited about this. Uh, we're going to, uh, it's called uh, Sabine Creek. It's what, just how far away is it? Yeah, it's, it's local. It's here in the county. Uh, Ron just put a lot of work in this. It'll be a very effective and, and uh, purposeful camp for our students. So uh, we, you will start to see more and more information being disseminated by Rhonda on this. So if you have parents, or if you have parents, <laughs> if your parents and have little ones, uh, uh, make sure you're staying abreast of that, get in touch with Rhonda. Uh, there will be need for chaperones if your schedule permits, and you, you'll start seeing this roll out fundraisers for them. We're uh, excited. We should have a good uh, uh, body of students going this year. Uh, so be and start praying for our children and our kids own children's church and for uh, their uh, kids own camp coming up amen and when's the date on that yeah june the 15th yeah 12th through the 15th and uh, i know the cost shows 200 dollars per camper but i assure you there'll be more than enough fundraisers that we'll be able to uh, cover that cost for the kids so uh, but start praying about it i'll be very important for our students amen all right i am done talking so if we have our gentleman come forward and we will pray for our service this morning. Hey, Todd. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe I realize. Uh, as you see here, uh, we'll be celebrating Julie's homegoing. Her memorial service will be here at the church, and it will be on Saturday the 18th. Again, here at the church, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, please mark your calendars, do what you can or need to do to come be a part of that celebration. And uh, as we rejoice for Julie's homegoing, here to support Dwayne and the family. So again, Saturday the 18th at 12 o'clock. Amen. Thank you. Lord, we come before you this morning. We uh, thank you for the sunshine, uh, the warm weather, the beautiful day. Lord, we ask that you would... Uh, Bless the hands that receive. Pray, pray that you would continue to bless your ministry in aid for Africa. Uh, ask for additional protection for them, their students, their families over there. Uh, Lord, we lift up uh, folks who are sick or in need of your miraculous healing. Uh, we ask that you would bless this gift, bless the giver, uh, bless Pastor Todd. And the words that he speaks. In your name.
right, if you will stand, we're going to continue in our praise and worship this morning. on her slide, God is able. And that's a song we're about to sing right now because our God is able and he will never fail us.
makes it a lot easier when you got a God that's able. Amen? You know, we how much effort man puts forth to try to make things able for himself. And, uh, of course, the Bible tells us man at best is just man. There's none righteous, no, not one. And uh, the best of our efforts is always going to be a little bit short of being able. But thank goodness we have a God that's all forgiving, a God that's redeeming and powerful and provisional and graceful and long-suffering and patient. And most of all, besides his grace, he's merciful. And within that mercy, we have the assurance that God's able to take care of anything and everything if we seek the one that can do it. Amen? So this morning, as the altar's open, as we do, we go before prayer time to come and just set the world aside and and, uh, and just get our hearts right for the word this morning. Not only is our God able, he is a way maker. He will take our pain. And if you feel lost, he will make a way. You've been walking the same old road for miles and miles. You've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies. 
you're trying to fill the same old holes inside. But there's a better life. There's a better life. You got pain. He's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you chains, well, he's a chain breaker. We both search for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. But there's a better life. There's a better life. You got pain, he's a pain taker. You feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you believe it, Testify, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking. If you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, well, he's a chain breaker. Did you let your light shine? 
getting carried away up there hey uh that was impromptu that's what sam and i were singing on the way to church this morning and uh you'll see why i decided to play it because it's definitely spot on but uh it's a song we're familiar with get you going is that probably the first song you ever learned if you had any semblance of growing up in church or visited a church and yet, when we get older, we go from this premise of your light shining that as adults, we end up redefining that light how we want it to be. And we start making about our light and not Jesus's light. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to ask you to get this, and it'll be the foundation to what we apply going forward this morning. Church is something we are called to. It is not something we're called to do. You say, well, oh, that's kind of just a play on words. No, that, that, is a, that is not a quote. That's not just a little catchy-ism. That is a doctrinal statement. Church isn't something we're called, it's something we're called to. It's not something we're called just to do. And we have taken that out of context, and I can assure you today, the church has a mindset that church is just something you do. I'm a Christian, so I'm just supposed to go to church on Sunday morning. That's, that's out of context, that's out of doctrinal truth. And because of that, it has led the believer into an identity crisis we're going to talk about this morning from a book that I told Peggy this morning that I had a bone to pick with her because uh, I don't know if it's her or Brother Brad, but maybe I have a bone to pick with both of them. They gave me a book they thought I would enjoy. And enjoy is not the right word for it. If you are a reader and you want to read something that is <laughs> transformational, something that is enlightening, I encourage you to look up this book and get this book, The Body, by Chuck Colson. And I can't get far in it because there's certain chapters I've gone back and read two or three times the exact same chapter. And just sit there and, and just in spiritual awe of how accurate a book that was written 19, it was I think 96 or 76, something, something about, about 31 years old, I think, in copyright that God used this man that was 
greatly transformed. You probably know Chuck Colson back to all the way back to White House press secretary, and and you know made some bad decisions, got in trouble, got saved, came to know Christ, and Christ turned his life upside down. And he's not a preacher. He, he's not an evangelist. I mean, he's gospel driven, but he quickly saw a plague that was coming on the church in America. And he wrote this 31 years ago, <laughs> and he took a giant mallet and hit the nail square on the head 31 years ago. And it hasn't changed since then. And it is a compelling book. And so, uh, and what he calls out and what he points out is what he calls an identity crisis that is brought on by secular individualism. Now, that, the term today to define that that's catchy and the popular word is narcissism. This narcissistic, uh, narcissistic approach in our culture that's driving everybody about me and no one else. So much for, so it's, it's splintering families. The families aren't getting together. Families are individually driven in their own goals, their own wants, their own desires within the family structure. But when it comes to their walk, we're talking about believers. These are safe believers. When it comes to their walk in Christ, he coined a term, I guess he did, it's in the book, uh, first time I've heard it, that has brought about a Jesus and me mentality. Meaning I come to church just so for just me and Jesus. It's nobody else. And it's really just my purpose, my want, my desire, and I'll define my own relationship with my Jesus my way. And you do you, and I'll do me, and we'll just go on about our Christian walk. And yet, when we look at scriptures, I'm going to show you one word that God used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that is the complete opposite to that. Because nowhere in the scriptures is there this identity crisis, this individualism, or this narcissist, narcissistic approach to God's purpose for the church. Understand the word church in the Bible is, is metaphorically used. It's never an a, a actual title description. It's a metaphorical statement referring to the body of God's people, of the saints. And, and it's a calling together of a congregation, of an assembly that we see in the Old Testament, in Exodus, an assembly brought together for a purpose that was designed by Jesus and Jesus alone. The tragedy of the church today is pursuing happiness rather than holiness. I referenced that a couple of weeks ago. The church is pursuing happiness rather than holiness. Jesus, catch this, Jesus did not step out of eternity into the temporal because it was a fool of a bunch of good people. Jesus didn't come to hang out with us. Jesus didn't die on the cross, as I preached about a couple years ago, so we can have the American dream. And if we look at our culture around us, the, the Christian culture, if you look around, there is a misnomer, a growing misnomer, that Jesus stepped out of eternity past, stepped into time, into the temporal, for that reason to meet their needs. No, the only reason he stepped out of eternity past into the temporal was to fulfill one need, to get us out of eternal damnation. 
Christ accomplished that and Christ reascended back into heaven and left us a blueprint, a blueprint what to do going forward. He did not come for any other reason but to seek and to save those that were lost. He didn't come to build a church. He came to save souls and left us a blueprint through the Holy Spirit that he gifted us in the book of, you know, Acts and gifted the Holy Spirit then to direct us and guide us in his perfect will. And the church today, in a lot of ways, has demolished that blueprint. And some churches across America, they've almost completely redrawn the blueprint where they want to get their church to and not how they can fulfill his church. He didn't come to hang out because we're good people. He didn't come to hang out to have a good time with us. He stepped into this darkness because it's full of sinners that desperately needed a Savior. That's the only reason. Don't add any more to the cross. He came to die for those in need. If you look around, that be us. Yet church today is still getting lost and growing this growing identity crisis. It's missing the calling of the body. So what I'm going to do this morning, usually I pray for God to, you know, to anoint the blessing. I'm going to do something different this morning. And I'm going to ask you to pray. Where you're at privately. We're going to take about 15 seconds. I'm going to ask you personally. Not you and your spouse, you personally, and I want you to pray for two things. One, that you pray that the Holy Spirit to have his way in your heart this morning. First and foremost, you should be praying that ever since. That's what the altar, that's why we do the, the opening prayer, the altar, the, not altar call, but the time of prayer. We should always be praying that, praying that prayer. Okay, so one, that the Holy Spirit has his way in your heart this morning. And then two, this is the big one I'm going to ask you to pray for. For the Holy Spirit to either reveal confirmation or conviction in your heart this morning. So pray that the Holy Spirit has his way. And then two, pray that the Holy Spirit offers confirmation or he provides conviction. Fair enough? All right, so let's take 15 minutes where you're at. And uh, let's go before the Lord. Amen. If you would, stand with me this morning. We just got one verse to read. And uh, so as, as a, a corporate body, as we're commanded to do, and uh, this will come out of Matthew chapter 5, and hence you'll see the reason I played the song this morning. But if you'll read with me aloud together, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. You're saying that, that's it? That's the depth of our message this morning? Yeah, I mean, amen. It's, it's that simple, it's that straightforward. God, Jesus, in red, in your Bible, that'll be in red ink. He speaks this message right after he delivered the Beatitudes, the blessings of the Beatitudes. 
And after he showed forth the blessings, you know, blessed, you know, goes on. We go, we see at the start of Matthew 5. Then he goes right in and he starts talking to the disciples about being the salt and the light of the world. And, of course, the salt, how important it is, a whole different message. Brother Brad has a great work on that in his reference work. Uh, you can look at it to give you great insight on that. But w when the Christian life loses salt, just like anything in life, <laughs> one, I mean, salt purifies, salt heals. It has all these n natural attributes that salt works in our lives. But when it comes as a believer, we are to be the salt. We are to add the flavor, the taste of Christ, the Word of God that's appealing to people. But then what we're going to look at today, he also calls us to be the light. Not to be our light. It's not a self-shining light. It's not putting it on your side of the profile that makes you look better. It's not special lighting that brings out your features and qualities. No, it's the light of Christ through you so others can see. I remember, uh, you know, back to Amy for Africa, I think of her, that God has used this ministry and set it as a light upon a hill. And, of course, you know, they're deprived of the resources we have, third world country, to say the least. You know, they don't have the electricity and things that we take for granted here. And so, but yet this, this, this uh, facility that is almost in a sense synagogue that, that God has erected here, it, it has beautiful lighting about it. And it sits on this hill all by itself and for almost miles. And, and on one of the walls that face, I, guess, I don't know how to describe, I guess is most seen the way it sits. They have painted a, a beautiful mural that has the three crosses with the light shining on it. And people from a long ways around can see this light that just shines always upon this work of God. But then also, I think of this in a secular sense. Brother Brad's from Chicago and Peggy, they can probably attest to this. Uh, years ago when I was traveling for business, I was flying into Chicago for the first time. And uh, it was a late-night flight and uh, to get there. So I'm flying in and uh, just didn't really want to fall asleep because a lot takes place when you land. But anyway, the flight attendant came by, and I said, what are these lights out the window? She bent down to look. She goes, oh, that's Chicago. I thought, wow, we're here. <laughs> we still flew in a jet plane, whatever they fly, almost 600 miles an hour for 35 minutes before we landed at O'Hare. I thought, I, I, you cover a lot of miles at 600 miles an hour for 35 minutes, and you're still just flying over the lights of Chicago to get to O'Hare. But yet it just illuminated. It was just this darkness at night, and all of a sudden you started seeing this glow on the horizon, and it just grew and it grew and it grew to present Chicago. Now maybe I'll say a worldly, and it may be a pale in comparison illustration, but that's the light the church is to have. The light should radiate Jesus Christ. It should be a light that it can be seen within a community and ultimately within a culture and within a nation. But yet so many churches across America, not, saying the, not talking about the ones that have sadly shuttered their doors in the last few years, which is a growing trend, 
you got churches that are growing in body and numbers that have no light. They're not seen. They're not even recognized. Not what the Bible calls us to. This is Jesus' call amongst the believer in the body of the church. The light before man in a darkened world. Jesus uniquely and purposely designed and placed the first church of Acts, not only at the center of the world at Jerusalem, but empowered it to a measure that man had never experienced or seen before in creation. We've been called to bring the, the flavor and the light to this blind and tasteless world. And, and I was talking to Brother Brad about this. Why it, it, it never was perfect, perfect, because man was involved. Anytime man's involved, it's not going to be perfect. But you take this one moment in time, and, and uh, Chuck Colson paints a good picture. At one moment in time, there in the books of, book of Acts, when Jesus launched the, you know, designed the church and empowered the church there at Pentecost, at one moment in time, probably in the history of America or the world, the church was perfect. It was perfect because it was exactly how Jesus intended the church to be. And that's the only thing the church did. Catch that? That's the only thing the church did. It did what Jesus called and empowered the church to do. With that in mind, we should not be in awe that 3,000 and 5,000 came by way of conversion and baptisms during, during Pentecost. We think, oh, could you imagine it's not hard to imagine when you're doing what Jesus called the church to do. It's mind-blowing now because the church doesn't do that. Oh, that can never happen today. Sadly, it probably can't happen today, but it won't be because it was a lack of the same power that they had in the book of Acts. It was the body within the church that's not living within that power and purpose. And if you look at Greg Laurie's ministry, his America, you know, ministry, more commonly, of course, you can also go back to Billy Graham. You look at Billy Graham, he was not a, per se, eloquent speaker. He wasn't a screamer and a yeller. He just stood before thousands around the world and only told them what the gospel said. You can listen to sermon after sermon of his revivals, <laughs> and it may not vary by 20%. Same scriptures, sometimes the same illustrations. And millions have come by way, not Billy Graham, they came by way of the gospel. Because Billy Graham said, you know what? I may not have a church like the book of Acts, but I can be a church like the book of Acts. And Billy Graham was a one-man church. He played his role in the body of the church, and he did, to the best of his ability, as a flawed man, he did what Christ designed the church to be. So we saw thousands at Pentecost. Billy Graham saw millions. Greg Glory today is seeing close to millions come to the calling of a clear gospel. But you come to churches in and of themselves where people collect together. I don't want to say assembly because when we look at the word, 
<laughs> we're not assembling, we're just collecting together. And then yet you don't see, why don't we see those salvations at church? Why do we not see salvations coming forth out of that collection of people in buildings across America? Why do we have to go to conferences and that spe so what, you know, somewhat specialize? The gospel is not a specialty. The gospel is the death, burial, resurrection, and the truth of Jesus Christ and what he came to do. And yet churches talk about anything and everything but that for the most part. Or they water it down so much there's no clarity to it and understanding of it. I think of the church of Philippi when Paul and Silas went to Philippi and they encountered Lydia and, and, and got to witness to Lydia, uh, I think in Acts 16 there, and, and led her to conversion. And Lydia immediately understood what had just happened to her. And, and she pleads Paul and Silas to come back to her town and to her family and share the same truth with them. And, of course, they do, and her family gets saved. Then they start a, what we'd call a Bible study, I think the Scriptures say, in Lydia's house, and it transformed Philippi. One lady that got the truth by two men who shined the light upon the truth that's supposed to be shined. The gospel was heard, it was received, and it spread with fire through the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have light shows. They didn't have a praise team. They didn't have fellowship halls. They didn't have sanctuaries. They didn't have nursery programs. Kids, they had nothing but the gospel. And those two men, Paul and Silas and, and Barnabas and John Mark, and we can go on and the prophets, God did more over time with men that walked around with nothing but this than the billions of dollars that are being spent on Christianity today it flourished it grew why because they kept the main thing the main thing they weren't trying to build churches the disciples weren't commissioned and sent out to see how many churches we can build and how big we can get them and, and what we can accomplish no they just went from town to town sharing the gospel But yet, how easily man disrupts it. To fully grasp the destruction and the power of this identity crisis, this individualism, secular individualism that's rearing its head, it's nothing new. Matter of fact, we can go back to the same time period and we can see an individual that was empowered, gifted, knowledgeable, in every way mature and yet he disrupted it himself that was Paul because it was Paul in his first missionary journey that him and Barnabas took John Mark with them and for whatever reason maybe because of discouragement doesn't really say but we know John Mark gave up on the missionary trip and went back home then when they got back and Paul was led by the Spirit to organize a second missionary journey, and he reached out to Barnabas, and Barnabas, being Barnabas, you know, the encourager is ready to go. 
He told Paul, said, hey, let's reach out to John Mark and get him to go again. Paul said, no, nope, not having anything to do with that. said, no. So God used the man who gave the name of the encourager to say, hey, we need to get John Mark back to doing what we're called to do. Paul says, nope. He interfered with my ministry. I don't want anything to do with him. He's not going. If he's going to go, I'm not going to go. This is Paul. This is Paul who was doing miraculous things through the same power of the Holy Spirit got to a point that his own personal individualism got in the way of God's calling. They're not, not going to do ministry with him. And thank goodness Barnabas says, fine, I'll take him. You take Silas. Multiplied the work. And John Mark did good things for God. So much so that we know uh, I can't think where it is. There in Acts that when, when Paul was in prison, he reached out to him, he told him to go into summon John Mark and bring him to him because he's an encourager to me. So the one guy that got in the way of Paul's ministry because of his own personal wishes and wants and likes and dislikes and judgment and all these things that interfered ends up acknowledging, wow, he is a man of God. And he can bless me. So if Paul can do it, how easy it is for us to do it. How easy is it for our secular individualism, narcissistic aspect and our approach to Christianity impede on the power of the Holy Spirit working through us in the body of his church? See, when we start looking at church as something that we do, then we'll, we'll start doing things in our interest. Well, if I'm going to do it, then I'm going to do it the way I like it. I don't like that preacher. I don't like the way he talks. He's too straightforward. He's too arrogant. He's too poignant. Doesn't tell Jesus, you know, loves me enough. They don't play the right kind of music. They don't have enough music, you know, musicians, whatever. They don't have this for my kids or that for my kids. And we start searching out things because we're approaching church is something we're called to do instead of something we're called to be. And to show to magnify to me our, our, this identity crisis, we live in a culture today, a time in history that we have never had access to so much entertainment or enticement. It's endless. We can access anything around the world. We want something through uh, Amazon. It can be here, in some cases, if you live in the big cities, that same day, delivered to your doorstep. We have everything at our fingertips, and then when God calls us to a purpose and a time of worship and, and the gospel, even then, it still has to be the way we want it. It still has to entertain us and meet our interest. Because we make church about us. What's the church going to do for me? How does it make me feel? Is the church full of people that make me comfortable? Is the church full of people that think like I think and feel how I think and have the same, you know, uh, you know political thoughts and, and just conservatism? Are we looking for things around us to make us comfortable? Or are we looking for a body that says, man, those people understand the call and the purpose of the church? 
I want to be a part of that. Look around. I'm talking about about Christianity. I promise you, not because I said it, you can look around. People are looking for environments that feed their design of the church. Because of something I got to do, don't forsake yourself and assembling together. And we got this tradition in America as Christians on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, you're supposed to be in church. So if I got to do that, then I want to do it in a way that I like it. Under no premise of what Christ called it to do. We'll look at Matthew chapter 16 real quick, and we'll get into the a foundational point in this. This is a great passage in Scripture, and they're in with uh, Jesus with the Bibles. I think I think they're in Caesarea at the time, if I got my points correct. But he's talking to the disciples, and mainly he gets in this conversation that Peter speaks up on behalf of the disciples. But in Matthew sixteen thirteen, when Jesus came, you know, it was Caesarea, Philippi there. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that, you know, I am? You know, Son of Man, I am. And he goes on to say in verse 15, jump to that, He saith unto them, But whom say you that I am? So when he first asked Peter and the disciples, they say, Oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, uh, uh, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said, Okay, that's good. I want to ask you, Who do you say that I am? And then we get the powerful discourse in verses 17 through 18. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, Peter. Why? Because Peter said in verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. At that moment in time, Peter stopped and acknowledged who and what Christ was. So Christ responds that... For flesh and blood have not you know, revealed that to you, but only my Father in heaven. And I say also unto thee that, go, oh, I'm sorry, verse 18, you're fine. Thou art Peter, and upon this what? Rock. I will build what? Ah, oh, my church. There it is right there. Peter says, all right, I, I, I'm going to start, dis, you know, laying out the foundation of my church. And off your statement of faith, Peter, not on you, Peter, I'm sorry, I got Episcopals and and Catholics in my family. I'm sorry, I can assure you by logic that Jesus did not build his church on a simple man. Logic tells you that. What Jesus is saying is on your proclamation, Peter, of who I am, I will build my church. That word church there is the Greek word ekklesia. And that has a very powerful and purposeful meaning because Jesus didn't just throw words out. Jesus said what he meant, and he meant what he said, as does the whole Word of God. It's not random jargon God throws out there for us. Every word is meticulously and purposefully inscribed in the Scriptures to design and to lay out without question what the Word of God means. And Jesus says, upon this statement, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. Now, that word ecclesia is where we get the words. Different, it means a calling out. 
It means a congregation, a gathering together, assembled. So Jesus is saying, upon this rock, I will build my calling out, my congregation, my gathering, my assembly of my saints. Right there, Jesus defined his church of who and what it was. It was a calling out. Meaning, if it's a call, it's a call that Jesus has for something better and greater than ourselves. He said, he didn't say, Peter, on this place, I'm going to build my building for you to go and worship in. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm going to build a synagogue. No, he said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. I am going to build the foundations for the purpose of my church. And he powerfully did. Now, this word ecclesia is also seen. You can go back in Exodus chapter 12 when Moses is on Mount Sinai, and God uh, tells Moses to call the people together, the Israelites, and to assemble them together. Now, in the Hebrew, the word is kahal, if I'm pronouncing it right. Kahal. But it means the same thing. It means a, an assembly, just like the same word ecclesia does in the Greek. It's the assembling of God's children together. So this word ecclesia isn't anything new. It's being God's purpose to call together his children into an assembly, a congregation with great purpose. How do we see individualism fitting within that? Wouldn't individualism within this calling together, this assembly, this gathering together, would that not cause disruption if I want to come up, be a part of this, but I want to do it my way? Yes, there's individual aspects that God puts in our lives. We've got individual gifts that God gives us to minister to the body of, 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 you know, of the church and beyond. But there's no individualism outside the design and the purpose of the church. And yet we've got believers that attend churches, and they attend... And they come in with their ideals, their wishes, their ways, and they want church. He's, Chuck Colson says in the book, he calls it McChurch. They want it their way. They want ministries to be they, the way they want the ministries to be. From theirs perfect, you know, personally, to the music, to, for their kids, for their youth. They, they want it these certain ways. They come with these predefined expectations of how they want church to be if they got to do church. Well, there's a problem. You're not called to do church. We're called to be the church. And do the church. If you're going to do it, we're going to do it Jesus' way, not our way. But how popular is that this day and time? When we live in a culture where it's all about this narcissistic individualism, I want to live life my way. It flies in the face of God's direction and God's purpose. It's not ours. It's Jesus' church. On this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say, I'll build our church. I'll build a church for you. I'll give you a place to go worship. I'll give you a place to hang out. I'll give you this. No, he said, I will build my church, and I will call you to my church for my purpose. 
But that's not where people want to go to church. Believers are approaching Christianity simply as a personal relationship with Jesus. I just want just Jesus and me. While the true nature of the definition, it falls woefully short of what Jesus has for them. This is our calling, Matthew 5, 16. And our calling is to be an example. We're called to be an attraction, not a distraction. And when we approach church and we approach worship individually, somewhere down the line, it's going to become a distraction rather than an, an attraction. goes on in the book he talks about a story happened in 1989 not that far long ago there's a pastor pastor tokes he was leading a church young pastor leading a church in romania uh, obviously since world war ii romania had fallen underneath the russian occupation and great oppression and as such countries do especially russia and china but at the time russia the first thing they start doing is oppressing the churches so bad taking so many resources away that they're really non-existent you know, you got a couple of people coming together on a Sunday, you know, worship. To the point the church had no effect in Romania. For at one time it was flourishing. Well, this Pastor Stokes takes over the church, and uh, just a few people were coming. Also, they were older individuals just trying to hold to their faith. Well, the Pastor uh, Tokes goes out and starts reaching the young adults at the universities. And he starts reaching them with the gospel. And this one particular student named Daniel, if I got his name right, uh, Romanian, it may be pronounced different, but Gavra, G-A-V-R-A, we'll call him Daniel Gavra. Pastor Tokes reaches Daniel with the gospel, and he gets saved. He starts coming. Well, Daniel's like, hey, this is transformational. And they start reaching more college students. Well, you see the thorn this comes is going to be to the Russian government. We can't have the youth getting on fire for Jesus and so it gets to the point that it's grown so much it's making such an impact in Romania that the Russian government comes and, and, and gets a, a, a law or, or gets a warrant or whatever and they're going to, to deport this pastor Tokes well Daniel rallies these new Christians these new college students that they've been ministering to and reaching and they come together and they build literally a human shield around the church to keep the Russian troops out from getting to the pastor. And Daniel brings these candles, nothing else. He just brings little candles to light to show solidarity at night. And the pastor talks about he looks from his window in the pitch of the night, and these candles are burning. It radiates the reflection, i.e., the light shine. It radiates the light of these students that are holding these candles standing for the gospel. Eventually, Russia has its end to it, and they just... They just break through. They bring tanks and the soldiers. They break through. They get Pastor Tokes, get him out of the church, deported him. Gunfire erupts in the chaos, and Daniel Gavra gets his leg blown off. And he's in the hospital, needless to say. Well, the pastor comes and visits him, and from the book, it says this. He says, when the pastor saw him, he was taken back that Daniel's spirit had, been not, had not been shattered. 
when speaking to Daniel, Daniel responded to the pastor, I don't mind so much the loss of my leg. After all, I was the first one to light my candle. You're like, wow. So I lost a leg. But that defense of the gospel, that stance in, in solidarity, in unity to the call of the church and the purpose of the church that impacted this young college student's life, brought some candles, lit a candle, got his leg blown off, and now rejoices because they broke the Russian occupation for the first time since World War II, and now Romania is independent and flourishing, and churches are preaching the gospel again. Why? Because a student and a pastor stay focused on what God called the church to be. And they changed the country against great oppression. When the church, the ecclesia, is the church, ecclesia, the people of God are moved by the Spirit in the will and the work of the Father, then evil cannot stand against it. That was shown in 1986 in Romania because of this one pastor. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty, freedom. Freedom's in the gospel. The gospel is what provides the promise of God of deliverance, of protection. You do my will. You do my calling. You be the church. Not to get ahead of myself, but we stopped in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus went on to say, and also the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if you're being the church, will the gates of hell be able to prevail against you? No, if we're being the church. Now, if we're just doing church our way, well, I can't say for sure if the gates of hell prevail against you or not. But I do know if you're doing the church, it won't. This identity is being lost. This identity crisis or crisis identity of self is being impressed and oppressed within the church. And time say I get y'all out of here. There's two paralyzing aspects within this identity crisis. One is the disunity that's brought about by individualism that separates us from the body of the church. Pew Research said in 2022, there was on average, or the survey showed in America in 2022, there's 36% participation in churches. 36. 300 plus million people in America, and we get what's 30% of 300 million? 90, 9 million, 90 million? And yet 1954, uh, in 1979, there was 54% participation. This disunity. This is what Martin, Martin Luther said, of course, responsible for the Great Reformation in the early 1500s that spread all the way to America and influenced America. Martin Luther said, apart from the church, not the building, the ecclesia, apart from the church, salvation is impossible. 
Now, that's a loaded statement. It's a scary statement. We know salvation only comes by grace through Jesus Christ. But this is the point he's being made. He said, as a saved Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, one cannot fulfill what it means to be a Christian apart from the church itself. There's the hypocrisy that comes by individualism, this disunity. That we're wearing the label, we're proclaiming this label of being a Christian, but yet we're disunited from what Jesus called the ecclesia from assembling together in purpose. So we're all walking around with these labels and titles and Christians and could be Christians and probably, I'll say, are believers more than Christians. They're believers. Same salvation. The only salvation that Christ offers, but yet it stops there. They're not part of what Christ is calling them to. Two, the biggest second problem is self-worship. I don't mean per se worship in self, but that individual worship in the way we want to worship. The McChurch, doing it our way and not being Christ-worshipping. We made this a self-pleasing journey or faith walk, so to speak. There's two reasons we should go to church. I know we talk about, Brother Brad and I, you know, come to be a blessing. Okay, and there's truth in that. But I'm going to narrow it down to two things for you. We should come to church based on what I asked you to pray about. We should come to allow the Holy Spirit to seek our heart, and we should come to church, not for fellowship, not really just to hear a great, powerful sermon. We should come to either be convicted or confirmed. If you walk in here and Brother Brad or I say something or any of the teachers say something, we should hear every word of God is saying, thank you, Jesus. I'm on track there. I'm going to keep on tracking. I'm keep on going that way. Or I'm going to say, oh, that's not me. Now, the problem is most Christians, when they say, oh, that's not me, there's the crux in the road. Instead of being convicted into the Christ-likeness, changing what needs to change, repent, change your minds toward, they just divert and go somewhere else for they're not convicted. Those two things are plaguing the church. So my question to you this morning, I'll let you go. And what I ask you to pray about, if I got this message across with, with any clarity, the question I encourage us, each of us to ask this morning, have we or have we not responded to Jesus' calling to the Ecclesia Church. I'm not asking you, do you go to church? I'm asking, have we or have we not responded to the Ecclesia Church that Jesus has called us to? Meaning, are we participating in a gospel-driven church and are we contributing and walking in the gospel message of the church? Or are we wanting to come to church and leave that to someone else? Or, Todd, that's you and Brad. That's why we pay y'all to do that for us. If you truly believe that, then you probably haven't read much Scripture, especially Matthew 28. See, we're all called to walk behind the gospel. We're all called to be a part of the Ecclesia Church, not pastors only. We're all called to it. 
1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who have called you, us, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Todd's name's not in there. Brad's name's not just in there. Any other pastor's name? No. As a believer, as a child of God, all of our names are in there. And then Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, us, you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You can take those two scriptures right there and set your path and your purpose within the Ecclesia Church. Doing it, supporting it, praying over it, serving it. That's our call. That's our purpose. But this only happens in the church that has called us to the, in the church that Jesus has called us to. Not in the church man draws us to. Get that? A lot of churches are being designed by man to draw people to their church. To draw numbers, to draw resources, to draw money, to continue to build buildings. No, we're called to Jesus' church. Don't fall prey to being drawn to man's church. Because there's only one ecclesia. And it has great purpose and it has great design and it was clearly laid out by Jesus. Folks, that's not a popular message. Not to us here. That's not a popular message overall. You read this book and that's just the, the tip of the iceberg that Chuck Colson paints an unbelievable picture. It's undeniable. It's like, whew, we are in bad shape. And then we turn around and look and we wonder why we have our moral decay, why we have our destruction within families. Because we're focused on everything other than what Jesus told us to focus on. Focus on the gospel. Focus on how you can be a part of going in the direction Jesus called the church to be. Don't let yourself get distracted by man's enticements. Because that's not what Jesus called us to. Why do we go to church? Sadly, we don't. As a whole of the nation, only 36% are going. Within this body of believers, we have an average participation. Week in, week out. Not asking for excuses because you don't owe me anything. But from sickness to vacations to work, I mean, th I mean things are... But we have, a, on average, a 36% absenteeism in this church week in and week out. So what does that do? 
One, it, it, it creates friction because we don't get momentum in a direction, in the call, in the purpose. And two, a lot of times what we bring into the church is our individualism. I wish Todd would do things this way. I don't know why Todd doesn't do that. I don't know why Todd allows that to happen. Why won't Todd do this? Why won't Todd do that? And all those questions have nothing to do with the gospel. It has to do about why can't it be like this? Or why isn't it like this? Or they do this at this church. And, and, and it doesn't mean those are damnational things. But it's not the important thing. We're only four years old. We're growing. We'll continue to grow slowly because of our focus. But the more we have individualism in the way we want this church to be, the even slower our growth is going to be. But when we treat this like the ecclesia it is and saying, I want to be a part of that, then we'll see things happening for good and for God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, thank you for this morning and this opportunity. And we, we belabored. We took quite a bit of time to walk through this, but that's okay. I know one thing for sure in the scriptures, you didn't put a time limit on church, that's for sure. But yet, our time is so valuable to us and so precious that we get individually focused and sensitive about that, about how much time it takes away from us. Father, I'm not calling any one person out. I'm calling myself out. As I can say personally, there was conviction in reading this book of Chuck Colson, just a man that came to understand the clarity of the ecclesia. And he's only pointing out what's evident. If that offends us, then we're not looking for conviction. We're looking for McChurch and doing it our way. But if we're looking for conviction, if we're looking for a walk, a faith walk, that is behind what you called the church to be, that we want to be a part of changing your church, building your church, adding to eternity. That's the church we want to be here. Father, we thank you for the guidance, the direction. We thank you for your word. As the music plays, the altar's open. Folks, here would be Honored to pray with you.
that word was individualism. That, that's, the, that's the killer. We all come with preconceived ideas as to what we want, how we want church to run, and all the rest of it. Christianity ain't about you. It's about everybody around you. Christianity ain't about me. It's about Kim. It's about Dwayne. It's about Deborah. It's about Blake. Now wait, I just named four people randomly. But ha that has to be your thoughts as well. Christianity ain't about you. It's about everybody around you. I don't go to church for me. We shouldn't go to church for ourselves. We should go to church for everybody around us. And if you could get everybody in church to be about everybody else instead of themselves, you'd get rid of individualism. And you'd get focused on what Brother Todd was talking about, which is the, the main goal of the church. I'm done with this. Brother Todd, you remember I took that church, that cowboy church, you know, we talked about it. I was kind of doing part-time here, and uh, I really didn't want to take it. Done pastoring. <laughs> and we decided to go ahead and take it. First meeting I had with these folks, the top guy in the church said, we're excited for you to be here because you're going to build our church. We want you to build our church. And I stood up in the midst of 15 of them, I said, I'm not here to build your church. Get rid of me now. I'm here to build his church. I'm here to see people saved. That's how you build his church. And if you could get everybody to do that, all the Christians to do that, you'd have what Brother Todd was talking about. But we're so individual, individualistic, that we can't keep ourselves You just Yeah, you just hit the nail on the head, Brother Todd. Thank you. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for that reminder that we don't go to church. We are the church. We're not here to build our church. We're here to build yours by reaching people for Christ. Help us to be about that. In Christ's name.